everyone, and welcome to the season eight finale of Saying the Tone in ER Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Let's fucking go! And Daniel. <laughs> hey! Today we'll be discussing season eight, episode 22, which is titled Lockdown. The episode aired on May 16, 2002. Lauren Wool's going that way 21 years ago. Is it bad to wish myself a happy 10th birthday because it would have been next week? Since this is the literally, season end. Literally one week from today, from this from this yeah. point. And from recording, my actual birthday is three weeks from now. Hey. Um, but with headlines, Jimmy Carter flies down to Cuba for a five-day visit, becoming the first U.S. president in or out of office to visit the island nation since Fidel Castro's revolution in 1959. Guys, can we just get the fuck over Cuba already and just, like, right? have it be a normal thing again? Like, come on. I mean, slowly it's becoming less and less I of a thing. I know. But... Uh, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, widely regarded as one of the worst Star Wars feature films ever made, makes its big screen debut in the at the at the inaugural Tribeca Film Festival in New York City on May twelfth, before its nationwide release on the sixteenth. See, I, I I originally said that I widely regarded as the worst, but then I remembered. Rise of the Skywalker exists. Or yeah. the, the Rise of Skywalker exists. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Rise of the Skywalker. I have a more emotional reaction to like, it makes me like rise of the Skywalker upsets me more attack of the clones. I think might be the worst movie. Like it might be the worst, like uh constructed movie. Like it is just like we, we uh, Jake and I did a, a ancient TPC episode yes. on attack of the clones back in the so day. So good. And like, it is, it is it's worse than you remember it somehow and like because i remember thinking back in 2002 i remember thinking okay you know phantom menace wasn't the best but like it had its problems but like i remember walking out of attack of the clones being like okay all right it's getting better like they're they're fixing some of the issues like mainly just like minimizing jar jar and like going back and rewatching that you know for that tpc episode a few years ago i was shocked at how like just bad that movie is i'll say this lizzie and i are a pro prequels house like well yeah i mean and and like i said it it is really fascinating it's both it's simultaneously like frustrating but also really endearing to watch the zoomers just like wrap their arms around the prequels and like really Mm -hmm. take ownership of them um because you know that was sort of the complaint at the time was that they were kids movies and so like Mm -hmm. they those were the kids that were around when those movies were made so I'm, I'm glad that they are able to take some kind of like serious ownership of them now that they're all kind of graduating into their adult lives i'm glad somebody appreciates those movies i love how you're saying this because it's like i was 10 when this came out i was a kid for this kid's movie so like yeah i mean and, and shout out to fucking uh crazy uh samurai yoda at the end like yes. that shit blew my fucking mind as a oh, you know our entire theater it's one of my most vivid memories our entire theater just started cheering yeah, and like uh, we're all super hyped up for that. And badass Natalie Portman like getting to do stuff at the yeah. third act of that movie, like that awoke something. Yeah, yeah. Like that. No, the third the third act of that movie is immaculate. Ooh. That 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 awoke some things in tiny twelve year old Daniel because uh, I was I was very much picking up what Natalie Portman was putting down in that movie. <laughs> Daniel's Daniel's love for strong, uh, jacked, terrifying, violent women was born. I, I was into it. <laughs> But, uh, the only time, <laughs> fun fact, the only time in his life that Daniel has ever wished he was Hayden Christensen. 
Yeah, but yeah, uh, th- those movies overall are just such a bummer, and I I, do, I don't enjoy. That's the thing. I don't enjoy revisiting them the way I enjoy revisiting some other bad movies. Uh, this week though, Spider Man cruises to its second box office crown with an eighty eight million dollar weekend. The number two spot was held by held by Thursday the sixteenth showings of Attack of the Clones, taking in thirty million dollars. And Foolish by Ashanti remains the number one song and will stay that way for a good chunk of the summer break. Daniel, what else was on? Uh, It's an evening of uh, season finales, as you might imagine. Uh, We have starting at 8 p.m. Friends with the two-part episode, the one where Rachel has a baby. Uh, Those two aired back to back. And I feel like... Again, with my very limited knowledge of the Friends fandom, I feel like this is one of those like seminal moments, especially in the like as we're starting to get into latter day Friends here, because like Friends is going to be off the air in a, me- a a matter of just a year or two, so like um, I-, I know this is like a big deal to them, uh, so. I'm sure somebody will educate us in the comments on that. Uh, at 9 p.m., we have Will and Grace with, I believe, what is also a two-part episode, or, or at the very least, it's an hour-long episode, uh, with the delightfully 2002 title of AI Artificial Insemination, uh, which is both a great porn parody title and also um, harkens back to one of the most boring movies I've ever seen in my entire life, uh, AI Artificial Intelligence. That movie... Uh, made me wish I was dead. It was so long and so boring, and like my ass was asleep by the time that movie ended. It was horrible. I mean, I'm sure it's a great movie. I'm sure I wa- if I watched it now, I'd probably take something different from it. But as a 12 year old watching that movie in the theaters when it was new, I like I that that was my first embrace of like millennial humor of like God. I kind of wish I was dead instead of watching this because this really bums me out. So. Ah, this week we have 27.4 million viewers tuning in. Uh, directed uh, this week's episode, directed by Jonathan Kaplan, doing his 24th out of 40. Previous ones of his from this season include Orion in the Sky, I'll Be Home for Christmas, Supplies and Demands, and The Longer You Stay. And written by the team of D. Johnson, doing her eighth out of 19. Previous ones of hers include Damage is Done, I'll Be Home for Christmas, and Never Say Never. And Joe Sachs doing his 15th out of 35. And previous ones of his from this season include Quo Vadis, Start All Over Again, uh, and uh, Four Corners. Maybe I also might have just like accidentally copied and pasted a different writer altogether. Who knows? Let's not talk about it. Uh, and <laughs> as you might imagine uh, from uh, you know the events of last week's episode, um, uh, hope you still have Cotton Eye Joe stuck in your head. Uh, we have no Lizzie Corday this week. All right, and just in case th- this whole episode is just in case you weren't sure who the main character of this show is now. <laughs> Previously, right. I was brought to us by Carter, and we opened up with uh, Susan looking at the board, so they're trying to get people moved through. Abby asks Pratt to help because they're down three nurses, and Pratt, Pratt's above all of this nurse work. He did his yeah. fair share at the VA, so clearly he doesn't need to do anything else. Uh, Carter tells Pratt and Gallant to chip in on Pratt's like, all this because a nurse asked us to, and then Carter's like, Abby is the Obi-Wan Kenobi of nurses, uh, or Abby is the Obi-Wan Kenobi of nurses. Learn from her, you will. And he does a Spock sign. Which... Yeah, and then I, well, because he says that, and then I didn't get this, because I was just like, ugh, Pratt goes, what does that make you, Yoda? Yeah, which I didn't really uh, make the connection until we, you know, did the headlines there, that that, yep. was, that, that was a very topical joke for them uh, in the moment. Like, they were finger on the pulse of pop culture. 
Um, Better than the the hand release joke. Is it though? I mean, that, at it's, least that's more memorable. I'd prefer uh, this. This isn't a this isn't a particularly memorable joke. Don't uh, care. It's still better. Well, well. In any event, we then get our first uh, patients of the episode being brought in. Two lawyers brought in after burning their feet while firewalking uh, in a team building uh, sort of scenario. Uh, one of them has an ember on them, which causes a small fire on the gurney. Carter tries to put it out with a coat, and Abby comes over and sprays him with an extinguisher, uh, which takes us into the intro. And uh, we will see kind of throughout this episode, both of these lawyers, the the male and the female, they never really get a name, though. Um, Not they're, really. they're just kind of like guy lawyer and lady lawyer. Uh, and the guy lawyer is played by actor Larry Clark, who appeared in stuff like The Laundromat, Contagion, and Twin Peaks. And the uh, lady lawyer is played by uh, Allison LaPlaca, who appeared in stuff like Fletch, Madhouse, and Friends. Uh, and that does take us straight into the intro with Bangs, uh, where we come out of the intro to uh, Stan being back, our homeless friend Stan. Uh, Chen uh, says that uh, she has the flu, but we don't see her in bed just yet, and she passes him on to Pratt. Yeah, I love how she's like, I'm sick, you don't see me in bed. Yeah. yeah. And Abby's giving some sh- tetanus shots to the attorneys, and Abby and Carter are giving contradicting instructions on wound care about showering and what they need to do to keep the stuff clean. Uh, Malik tells them to make up because there's a huge MBA two minutes out. Yeah, let's have me talk about this one. Uh, so the driver is brought in. Her name is Marge Satterfield. She was driving a bunch of old folks going to the casino. She is 50 years old and altered. Hmm. Okay. Daniel, who plays Marge? Marge is played by actress Jane Taini, who appears in stuff like Unbelievable, the TV series Ray Donovan, and the TV series that uh, Lizzie loves to shit on, Station 19. It's uh, it's just so pointless. I th- oh, Station 19. I was, think- I was thinking Station 11. I was very confused. No, was- Station 11 is I was like, Lizzie amazing. loves Station 11. Station 19, different one. Got it. Um... But yeah, then we see Colin Prentice, 21-year-old driver that collided with the bus. And then we get a just a, a slew of the older patients come in. The first one is Ralph Myers, a 73-year-old, asks how Marge is doing. Uh, Lizzie told me to stop getting names here because it just keeps going. And she was like, it's fucking pointless, Lauren, because I was trying to get them all. So thank Lizzie for this not going on for an hour. Um, Abby is asking Jerry for some extra help because there are lots of needy patients. This is going to be a through line for the episode. Everybody needs something. There are not enough nurses and the admit team and nurses get the brunt of the anger. This episode, uh, gentleman says that they've been here a really long time. Both of his kids are really sick. And right now they're just another patient to Abby. The kids are covered up with blankets. We don't actually see the kids. They're just kind of like sick little lumps in their mom's arm. Sick little lumps. Yeah, of note that they're they're entirely covered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't yeah you don't get to see the kids at this point. Uh, and our parents here, Craig and Robin. Craig is played by actor Paul Hip, who appears in stuff like Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, Face Off, and Bad Lieutenant. And mom, Robin, is played by actress Heidi Swedberg, who appeared in stuff like Hot Shots, Seinfeld, and played Justin Long's mom in uh, Galaxy Quest. Oh, okay. I was hmm. wondering who she was on there. Um, then we see Marge asking how her passengers are doing, and to note here in this trauma, there are no nurses in there with Luca. Yeah, just zero, when there's normally, like, what, three? At least two or three. Anywhere from one to three. Yeah. 
Uh, Susan pops over to check on Pratt. Also, no nurses with him. You know, I'm sure that's going to go well. Uh, but there is an EMT helping because there's no other, no one else to help. Uh, Pratt needs to draw blood while he's on the phone for, with radiology. And Carter's looking for things and he has no idea where they are. Um, the patient looking for the bathroom bursts into the trauma room. Normal one. Totally normal. Uh, Carter then tries to herd everybody back over to chairs. Gallant speaks up to try to help. Uh, we have an old man complaining about the older Chinese woman on the bus driving Marge crazy that she was so much that she was twitching on the bus, which uh, kind of alerts mm. alerts Carter to what might have mm. actually been going on here. Carter goes to ask Luca if Marge had a uh, Marge had a med alert bracelet on, uh, and Luca says that her symptoms are consistent with a post ictal state and. Uh, the continued adding of Lauren uh, marches on. Just because Mark dies doesn't mean we can't keep uh, adding Lauren specifically. Uh, <laughs> we then see uh, Gallant rush in to grab Carter to go see the two kids from earlier. Uh, apparently they were in a week ago with a fever and have now come back with a rash. Parents uh, were thinking chicken pox. Uh, Carter examines them. They've got pustules all Ugh. over their faces. Yeah. Okay. Let's 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 talk about the I don't know if you would call it makeup work or prosthetics work here. Um, the effects. Yeah, like they're 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 a little gross, but also I don't think they're that good. <laughs> like particularly when they do the close-ups in a bit. Like in this scene, it's not too bad, but when they do the close-ups on the kids' faces in a bit. I feel like another pass was warranted. Like, I feel like we could have done another, like, run through of the uh, the prosthetics effects on the kids' faces. Cause... Whereas I thought it was totally fine. I made the mistake of looking up smallpox images just now to see how they compared. Don't do that, anybody. Yeah. I just almost threw up. Don't we're, we're, don't do that. We've circled mm. back around to risky Googles with Lauren. Yep, that uh, was a risky Google. I'm just going to pass out over here now. But in any event... Um, you're clearly starting to pick up on Carter's panic with all this. And uh, he's trying to like keep everybody calm and trying not to like let in, let in mm -hmm. on the fact that he's like completely panicking here. Um, but of course the music kind of underscoring everything like you, as the viewer, you know, something, something bad's going on here. So he mm -hmm. says they need to get masks on the kids right away. He goes into the lounge looking for posters from the health department that have, you know, kind of important information about how to recognize things like smallpox. And, uh, you know, he, he then grab he grabs one of the tubes and then immediately, like, confirms his worst fears and goes and grabs the kids and the parents and whisks them off to a private room. All right, and let's go to our first audio clip here. Uh, Susan and Carter are coming up with a plan after identifying that it, it might be smallpox. Where is she? Getting a central line kit. Susan, just come with me. I think I got two cases of smallpox. Oh, my God. Firm, deep-seated pustules, all in the same stage of development. No, it's probably just a bad case of the chicken. No, it's centrifugal distribution, sparing the trunk. It's all the major criteria. We haven't had a case here since the 40s. It's airborne. We need to lock this place down. Okay. Elevator lobby, north stairwell, south corridor, all secure. Security's trying to lock the ambulance bay doors. Isn't that a fire safety violation? Okay, we're close to trauma. Is public health on the way? Do I call the city, the county, or the state department? Check the emergency response plan. This is the emergency response plan. I don't know. Call all three. 
Hey, hold on. You think maybe you're jumping to conclusions? You ever seen smallpox before? No, but that's my point. It could be anything. Scabies, bitteriasis, chickenpox, herpes, impetigo. Are you 100% certain? You want to risk exposure to the city? Whoa, how bad is it? Killed half of Europe. Yeah, but they have a vaccine for it now. The CDC should have a stockpile of it. In Chicago? Atlanta. Oh, great. No, Luke is right. Smallpox has been eradicated. I heard the Russians had some on ice. If a terrorist group got a hold of Shut it. Shut up, Jerry. Damn, I should have called in sick today. Okay, thank you. What'd they say? Lock it down. They're on their way. The entire hospital? The ER. So what do we do about the critical patients? You're asking me? The infected kids, their brother and sister. Yeah. Five and ten? Yeah, why? I think I treated them last Tuesday. They presented with the flu. I have a fever. But you need to be quarantined. Oh, God. Hey, come on. Slow down, guys. No, no, no. Susan, you got to come up with a plan, like, now. Okay, okay. Deb Carter's right. You're quarantined to exam four. Jerry, pull the staff schedule and the patient log from last Tuesday. Luca, reassess all the patients group the criticals. I'll take care of public health. What about the kids? Nobody panics. Nobody starts any rumors. This is just routine. Okay, then you better tell them why the doors are locked. And of course, the first people to see the doors lock are the lawyers. <laughs> yep. Blood-sucking assholes. Damn lawyers. Let's talk about how differently this episode hits after 2020. Because <sighs> Everyone's self-interested. Nobody wants to avoid the plague. Yeah, and like, I feel like I had a very, you know... I remembered this episode from from my first watch through. I I think I remember the second half more than I do this mm-hmm. this half. Like I think I remember the season nine premiere way more than I remember the season eight finale. Um, but I remember thinking it was a, a very like claustrophobic feeling episode and like very like tight and like everything felt pressure. It felt like a pressure cooker, and there is a little bit of an element of that, but it just hit me different on this watch compared to what it did watching it for the first time in 2017, 18, whenever it it, was, I watched it the first time. It seems like such extremes and dramatic when you watch it the first time, but it's like, we lived through that for three years. Like, I'm just like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Do that. Yeah. Like, I guess of course you do that. I guess it it sucked a lot of the drama out of it for me because it did feel so routine compared to, you know, what we would have expected watching this in 2002, where this would have been like a foreign concept. Yeah. It was just really, it, it was interesting. I, I thought this, I mean, I, I expected this episode to hit different now, you know, you know, whatever you, you know, let's say air quotes, post COVID world. Like I, I expected it to hit differently, but it hit me differently even than what I was prepared for, because I think I was prepared to, for it to feel very like silly almost. And then, yeah. but there was actually, I, I got to give them credit. Like there was actually sort of a lot of elements of, of reality that they were able yeah. to capture in in everybody's kind of response and and just the way that everything kind of unfolds there was a lot of similarities to what we went through with covid in a very good microcosm absolutely yeah speaking of which uh carter and abby are talking about the delay on treating the family and they both go into the exam room together with their ppe we all should know what ppe means now guys we've been doing covid for three years uh which again this was something i was paying a lot more attention to now having gone through COVID, was like, okay, are they masking or, like, are they cross-contaminating? All that stuff. Um, Patients are, of course, all screaming and complaining at Susan. Susan gets on the PA system with Jerry's help and announces what's going on and why things are locked down. 
at the vaguest terms, like the loosest possible. She doesn't go into like just how serious it is yet. She would like um, to emphasize the word potential. <laughs> potential. Um, yeah, this all tracks with how we behave during COVID. Everybody's mad at officials. Nobody's just doing what they're told. Uh, and a guy in the bathroom, not bathroom, a guy in the background is fighting with the security guard. We just see it in the back in like, not even in focus with the shot. It's just something happening. And it's, it just made me laugh mm. really hard that it's like, while all this is going on, you just see the security guard just tackle someone. Yeah. But yeah, no, everybody throws a hissy fit. I mean, I, wouldn't you? Did you see me during COVID? I did not. But like, <laughs> if you were said like, oh, but like, if you were like, the whole hospital was locked and you couldn't leave, like it was that serious. I don't know. Yeah. I, like, I would like to think that I would have reacted, you know, reasonably under those circumstances but you know i don't know like I, I and i definitely remember in the early i'm talking like the first few days of when the covid mm-hmm. thing started to like because it was you know as we were if you'll remember like we were getting like a drip of news mm-hmm. from asia in particular where it was like yeah happening this thing is happening over there but it's not really like a big deal to us yet but like it's just some shit going on over there you know and like so we were getting like these drips of it and i can remember having this like very flippant attitude towards the whole thing in the early few days of just like oh you know we were cracking jokes about it like i remember being at work being like oh i hope i get it so that i you know like so like i I just want to get it over with you know like that kind of thing like we we were all like making jokes out of it You, you couldn't know Exactly. Nobody could could have known how much it was going to like completely up, upend all of our, you know, collective lives pretty much. And so like I would like to think that I would react reasonably in a similar circumstance, but I don't know that I would. Like I don't know that I could say that I would even with the benefit of hindsight of going through the whole, you know, COVID lockdown experience. I'll say especially in a hospital, at least there if anything goes wrong, you've got meds. It's true. Like, that would be my biggest concern of being locked in anywhere is, okay, do I have my meds? Right. Because that's where it's dangerous for me. If I'm in a hospital, fine, they can give me what I need, whatever. Um, Like, yeah, I've been... Nearest comparison to a lockdown that I have aside from COVID is I was stuck on a train for, like, five additional hours because we had hit a... Like, we had hit something. Mm -hmm. So we had to stay on while police investigated and everything. Like... People were yelling at the conductors and pissy, and it's like, they can't do anything about it. Right. <laughs> See, I'm not saying you would freak out and, like, take it out on the staff. I personally would have a panic attack if someone was like, oh, fuck, we can't leave, and there's a public health hazard. I'm going to die. Like, I would, that's immediately what I would think. Well, at least if you freak out enough, they'll just give you some Haldol and you can sleep until <laughs> you're true. let I out. I do have a major anxiety disorder, so. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Carter and Abby are treating the kids... The parents were in Central Africa two weeks ago. Africa? Did I say Africa right? I don't know. You did. You were good. Central Africa two weeks ago. Uh, They may have been incubating the virus, which is weird that the parents wouldn't get it because it's smallpox. Does it differentiate between adults and kids? No, sometimes people just don't get sick. Yeah, we we went through that. They can just be carriers. Yeah, right. We went through that with COVID, too. Then we go into uh, Gallant going in to check on Chen uh, when Stan comes in to camp with her because he was in last Tuesday, too, uh, saying, I've got gastritis, hepatitis, and pancreatitis, so a little pox is not going to bother me. And starts uh, singing Fever as Chen says that... uh, as Chen is worried, saying that it can't be smallpox. Uh, we then see Jerry dealing with phones and angry patients. Uh, and, oh boy, the Chicago PD has arrived with billy clubs and handcuffs. Great. So excited. 
Luca says uh, that Marge is going to need a head CT, but has no blown pupils. Uh, Susan says that she has to wait. And then uh, David Torres arrives public from public health. And who plays him? Uh, he is played by probably the most recognizable. Oh, hey, it's that guy of the episode. Uh, Nestor Serrano, who appears in stuff like uh, The Day After Tomorrow, Bad Boys, and Secretariat, uh, among many other things. He is our high watermark guy for the episode. 127 credits to his name. Jesus. I recognize him from The Day After Tomorrow. He's, of course. He's part of, course of you the... Do. Well, yeah, of course. It's one of my favorite disaster movies. But yeah, he's part of uh, Dennis Quaid's science team. Yeah. But uh, so. Uh, so Susan, you said she. I wasn't sure who. Susan gets a wristband for and a walkie talkie for contact tracing and to help communicate. Uh, they kill the air conditioning because the first and second floor share ventilation shafts. Fun times. And Susan protests it's 80 degrees outside. But he says, welcome to the hot zone. Yeah. <laughs> And then uh, we go back to Carter and the parents. This was the only time to fit in a whose films are those because anywhere else just felt tacky. Uh, Mom thinks that they were targets and someone may have weaponized this. Okay. Are you spies? Uh, The daughter starts to crash. Carter has to go around and get a decontamination room because they can't cross-contaminate while getting supplies with other patients. Uh, He moves Pratt's patient out of trauma to get the other trauma room for an extra space to like for them to take on and off uh, their PPE neat was um, uh, I'm trying to remember like um, has the anthrax stuff kicked off yet? Like, I don't remember. Cause I feel like, I feel like it was around this time. I feel like that might inform a little bit of that line from the mom of like, yeah. you know, is this being used as a weapon, you know, because like the anthrax stuff was like kind of paralyzing the nation a little bit in the wake of nine 11. Uh, it was 2001. Okay, yeah, so it had already sort of started happening by this point. So it makes sense why she might have those fears. But yeah, um, that definitely would have impacted this, Daniel. Because if it was happening around 2001, it would have been peak writing room fodder at this point. Um, Excuse me. But then Carrie shows up outside and argues with the police trying to get in. She can't because they're in lockdown. Uh I want to know, earlier in the episode, we hear that she sounds like she's got a mouthful of marbles because she chipped her tooth. Right? And it's like, she sounds completely fine here. That's a really... Like, there's nothing, yep. there's nothing wrong with her here. So maybe they had that in when they originally didn't plan on having her in the episode and then forgot to write it out when they decided to put Laura in. Maybe, yeah. But it just seems like a really weird thing to set up early on in the episode when you know that you're going to have... She's going to show up. She's going to play a it- part. It had to be a writing continuity goof where they changed some stuff around. Yeah. Uh, so she tries to get hold of Romano, and a woman asks if she can get in to see her fiance. I have to wonder if this is the gentleman who crashed into the bus. Mm-hmm. Like, we never actually get confirmation one way or the other. But Hale and Lily are outside waiting to get in, too. And a gunshot wound, Marta Guzman, is brought in by Doris, but of course can't be let in because they're close to trauma. This can only all go well. Guys, this is this is fine. This is a normal one. Um, so Abby and Carter are in trauma one, changing their PPE, and Carter goes, ugh, we may have to spend the night together, which absolutely makes me want to vomit. I hate it. It's awful. Guys, this is the worst. <laughs> just like just like the Arlock with this episode. Tell but- us how you really feel. Oh, it's the worst. But then are the straights okay? We go to check in on the brother. He's doing all right, but the sister is crashing again. And Abby calls for help from Pratt. 
Then we go to Kiri treating Marta in the field. Uh, Romano throws down a Thor seal down from the fire exit on the second floor. And Carrie's like, how about some gauze? And he's like, how about a two-ton safe? For one, he only has what, what you need. Carrie <laughs> uh, says they need to get her up to surgery, and they're holding the freight elevator for her. And the news, a news camera just comes barreling right through. You have to think that the police would have established a line... Further back than the ambulance right? bay at this point. You would hope so. You would hope so, but a news crew comes up asking her why she's why the ER has been closed, and she does a great job not speculating until a news anchor says it, and all the ER hears it. That doctor, are you aware that the smallpox response team has has been activated here at the County General ER? And everyone's like, "What?" Everyone loses their shit. It's a great one. <sighs> it's fine. The news does nothing for you, people. (laughs) (laughs) Ignorance really is bliss. Uh, Yeah, it's true. Uh, We then uh, go back and check on the kids. Daughter is not responding to compressions and resuscitation efforts. Uh, Carter, with a very desperate line read that I I say desperate in the best possible sense. Like it, it, it sounds good. It really gets across the severity of the situation where he says nobody's seen this disease in 50 years when the parents are like, do something dude. And he's like, okay, man, nobody's seen this disease in 50 years. Uh, everybody's screaming at Susan and uh, David uh, Galat says if they leave the ER, they're going to be arrested. Uh, uh. And uh, then they go back to the the kids. Uh, Mom keeps saying that maybe the doctors are doing something wrong or the equipment isn't working. Pratt, Pratt keeps trying to give suggestions, and Carter has to shoot them shoot him down in front of the parents, which isn't doesn't go over well. Yeah, super super fun. So let's get a brief audio clip here of uh, Carter chewing out Pratt. What are you doing? I thought I was helping. No, you're not. When I call code, that's it. No discussion. You overlooked high dose effort. Especially when the mother of the little girl is sitting there right in the room. And it was worth the shot. Well, you were wrong. Well, now we'll never know. Do you ever listen? I mean, do you ever listen? Do you? High dose epi does not result in the return of spontaneous circulation or an increased survival. And if you read the literature, you would know this. Or you could teach me. You know, I don't have time, Pratt, to stop and explain things to you. So I'm supposed to read your mind? No, your job is to shut up and follow my lead. Then lead! Excuse me. The health department wants us to double shroud her. I'll take care of it. No, you're not going back in there. Look, the mother still has questions. I'll take care of it. She trusts me. I said no. Oh, you feel hot. What? Abby, can you take his temperature? It's 100 degrees in here. Yeah, you feel hotter than that to me. I feel fine. You have a fever. 101.4. You always have to be right. And you have to be quarantined. Ha-ha. Suck it, Pratt. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Uh, That's pretty much the entirety you could subtitle this episode. Suck it, Pratt. There's... There's so many things you could subtitle this episode, like "suck it, Pratt." Uh, pivot, just th- just the word pivot. 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 Like, that, this is <laughs> don't look over there. Like don't don't worry about the the dead bald guy from last week. No, no, no. There's there's a whole bunch of other shit going on over here. Don't look at that. Which I don't even know if we mentioned that at the top, but Anthony Edwards is still in the credits. Like it's you know. 
<laughs> which you know big end of the season energy on that one like that that is big not my problem i'll do it next week energy which i can sympathize with uh with the way this fucking season is gone let me tell you uh just yes um but then we go over to one of the attorneys i believe it's the woman starts to interview patients in chairs how long they've been there this is fine um oh six hours that's a disgrace that's that's unheard of and uh, Malik's turning off fans and unplugging them because they'll spread germs, so they're not allowed to have fans on. Uh, Susan threatens to order pizza if they can't get food from the cafeteria. <clears throat> That's not bad. Um, the other attorney is getting Susan's information for the class action lawsuit that they're planning. And Jerry's voice is playing on TV. This kills me every time. His voice is playing on TV, and then they see him in the phone booth giving information to the news outlet. Susan knocks on the window of the phone booth and is like, Jerry, what the fuck? And he's like, oh, I I was just calling my mom. Love you, mom. (laughs) And then Malik high fives him, and it's the best. The the attorneys, like, doing the class action lawsuit thing. Like, if there was... Like, I know Twitter doesn't exist in 2002, but this felt like such a, like, early 2020 COVID, like, Twitter moment. Yes. Of just, like, oh, we're... Where are my rights? Like, we're aggrieved. My rights. Bah, 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 bah. It's my money, and I want it now. Smallpox edition. <laughs> yep. Um, Come so on, God, nothing? No, that just... I, it pro- I had to process it, but absolutely, yes. It's got layers, um, man. Come on. <laughs> It, you're so funny. Uh, but then Carter and Abby are shrouding the little girl, and Mom, of course, wants to say goodbye first. And the son asks Dad, was she scared when it happened? Am I next? Do you promise? I can practically feel the... The loathing? I can feel, like, the blood coming out of Lauren's, like, fingernails <laughs> as she's gripping the pen so tightly to add this small child who's going to die of smallpox onto her like shitty kids lists she's like will they make incur- it find out next incurable week incurable disease be damned uh he must be you know taken to task for being precocious <sighs> but anyway uh then we find out complete tonal shift um chen has been pinging for 10 minutes on the nurse call button because she has to pee. So we go from that very precocious child worrying about the impending death to Chen, oh my God, I got to piss. We go over to uh, Marge. She's gambling with her little old people and Luca goes to talk to her and he questions her epilepsy and how exactly she's getting her medicine for it because and how the hell she got a commercial driver's license with. Uh, like, un- would, would you say undocumented, Lauren? Yeah. Like, she... Un- she shouldn't. She shouldn't have a CDL. Yeah, like, she says she hasn't. She says she hasn't had a seizure in years. Just an occasional tick, as she refers to it. Uh, and he shows her the guy she hit, and of course, at that moment, he's crashing, and Lucas called him to the trauma to help. <sighs> totally normal. Totally, totally fine. fine. It's great. Uh, Abby and Carter are sedating Adam so that they can tube him ahead of his crash. Uh, this is back with the smallpox kids. Uh, he's got lesions internally, too, as they try to innovate him. So that's great. Uh, then go yeah. back over to car crash guy. Susan says he has an internal hematoma. Uh, and Abby comes in to ask what Carter should do about the central line he needs. And Lucas says one of the lines of the episode, the best he can. Uh, yep. That tracks. Yeah. 
it's all any of us can do, really. So I, I will say though, I mean, I get that I get the the logic of like it mm. is uh, you know something of an airborne contagion, and like everybody is like more or less compromised. But I will say, other than like like they. The whole thing is like, oh, they make a big deal out of how Abby and Carter are going into this room and going into this room is somehow going to expose them to another level of like exposure. Like they make a vi- I mean, they do make a very social distancing. Right, they make a very big deal out of it being like, okay, if we're going to go in this room, we're going to go in this room. And then they spend the rest of the episode doing the sloppiest quarantine in the history of yep. quarantines. Like yep. they just come and go out of whatever fucking room they need to mask no mask like they just i mean again it's very realistic actually but like it is just the world's sloppiest quarantine for the rest of the episode 100 percent. yeah glad i'm not the only one who noticed that but we go back to carter and they're gonna do a formal tracheostomy and he calls romano to get help and can't bring adam up or any surgeons down so carter's just gonna have to do it himself which he actually looks incredibly poised, uh, incredibly poised with his hands up. He's just like, just give me a, te- give me a template. And I, I love that he's like, well, I started in surgery. What does that mean? It means he's qualified to do. Doctor Carter's qualified to do this procedure. Yep. Uh, but then we continue. Everyone is still screaming at Susan and Jerry because, of course, everybody's still unhappy. And Carter is working on the tracheostomy with Abby. Dad has to bag while Abby helps with suction and everything. And Dad looks like he's about to throw up and pass out. Wouldn't you? Uh, yes. The woman runs up to Carrie crying, saying she now can't get a hold of her fiancé inside at all. Very extra. Again, we this find this woman's here. We don't have any real emotional reason to give a shit. Um, and officials come in to assist with the control. Carrie is still not allowed in. And uh, Carter's still working on Adam. Mom is begging in the background for them to help him. And it's like, what the fuck do you think they're trying to do, lady? I have no patience for any of the people in this episode. Uh, He asks Abby to pull off his PPE very dramatically so he can see and breathe. Just absolute sacrifice to have his mask and goggles off this close. I know realistically, if it was COVID, this would be a huge Mm -hmm. deal. But like, again, as we talked about, this all just seems quaint now compared to what we've gone through. And uh, very heroic, dramatic music as they try to get the tube in. And he does it. Yay, at the sacrifice of his own potential health, he does it. Carter's, Carter's our main character and a hero and can do no wrong. Lizzie, what happens next? Yeah. Uh, the news is showing, speaking of discussing images of smallpox, uh, the news is showing history, a history of the smallpox disease. And they show one of the more disgusting pictures uh, that you'll probably ever see. And just, bleh. And yeah, Mm-mm. don't Google smallpox. Is the don't lesson, do it. It's the lesson of this episode. If you're going to take anything away from this one, uh, Susan's looking at a cold sore on Jerry's face and he's convinced it's the, he's convinced it's smallpox. And, sh- and she's like, it's, <laughs> it's a cold sore and I don't want to know how you got it. Okay. That makes me mad as somebody who deals with cold sores. And it also makes me mad because it's caused by her- it's caused by herpes, right, yep. Lauren? Yep, yep, yep. And somewhere in the neighborhood of ninety percent of the U.S. of the entire adult population, yep, is infected with herpes. Yep. Just- Some of it's this strain that's really only shows up on cold sores more than anything. Others are, you know, the the sexually transmitted variety. But it's just like. I get so mad when they make jokes like these because, like, they just... My face busts out if I drink too much orange juice. Yeah. Like... Because your, you, your dad had the gall to kiss you. 
when you were as, and when kid. I was a kid. Like he must have had one and kissed me when I was a baby, and then fuck me, I got the herpes. Like, <laughs> so that just it, as someone who deals with frequent cold sores, that made me mad. I know it's funny, like haha, it's a cold sore. You're a slut, Jerry. But just like, come on, we're better than this. Yes, but anyway, uh, the patients then break into the vending machine. Mm. Cool. And it's the lawyers who do it, too. Yep. We're on to looting. Right. Again, the very authentic portrayal of uh, the world at large uh, just a couple years ago. Uh, we then go over and check back with check back on Chen, who's trying to pee behind a curtain uh, and asks the uh, boys in the room, Pratt and Stan, to uh, start talking or singing so that she can go and makes just the stupidest face when she's able to finally uh, get the waterworks going. Uh, we go from there over to Carter telling Adam's mom that the prognosis uh, about the prognosis and potential for organ failure, and then goes off to talk to Abby. She had been looking it up in one of the reference books sitting around in trauma and voices her guilt for not getting to the kids sooner. Uh, then we see Susan needing Abby for something and Abby is going to be setting up a vaccine clinic. Yep. Then, uh, Oh look, Stan's having an alcohol withdrawal seizure. Because Lauren just can't catch a fucking break. Nope. Ever. About nope. anything this episode. This this episode is specifically fuck you, Lauren. Fuck this it's, season. It's turning into an entire Let's series. Let's be done. It's very true. Uh, but they need to give him some benzos, and then he stabilizes. Huzzah! And then Chen and Pratt both looking rough. And then uh, we go back over to Abby. Uh, her and uh, a few others are watching the vaccination instruction video. Uh, but they can't start administering vaccines until it's confirmed uh, to be smallpox. Uh, so sweaty, there's a, uh, <laughs> what Lauren has delightfully termed in the notes, sweaty muscle bro squad, uh, which uh, really, again, is a, it was a very uh, apt visual representation of the kind of people we were dealing with in 2020 and, and beyond. Just like a bunch of like burly white dudes in plaid, who like can't be arsed to like do anything for anyone other than themselves i'm sorry it was just too on brand to not put them that way Um, but they take it upon themselves to try to break down the ambulance doors with a gurney luca then tackles one of them (laughs) uh and jerry jumps around uh, the admit desk to try and stop them too so some of my favorite visuals in this whole goddamn episode i was gonna say i love the the point of view of the gurney Mm mm-hmm shot that's when you it's ah and you just see random people being tackled and random people joining the fray and it's it's so good it's so good and carter runs out uh, carter you know speaking of you know quarantine protocols and whatnot carter runs out into the middle of everyone to help calm everything down and ask jerry why they aren't doing anything to stop the testosterone squad and jerry's like i tried whatever (laughs) just sitting on the floor he doesn't get paid enough for this shit, man. Uh, police are expanding the perimeter, and someone bodies Luca over the admit desk, and let's get a small inspirational speech from uh, Carter here. Uh, this morning, a five-year-old girl came in here with a rash that looked like smallpox. She died quickly. Her older brother is still critical. We don't know what it is, and we don't know how they got it, but it's here. And it needs to be contained. This is not about denying your civil rights. This is about protecting you. 
If we let you go, you could carry the disease home to your own families. So please, stay here. Help us. And we'll all get through this. So everyone's looking up at Carter as the golden god that he is. And I, I, thankfully, I edited out the e. Oh, yeah, the, the oh, feedback. Oh, thank you. Yeah. The feedback noise when he tries to get everyone's attention. Uh, um, and also of note, the attorneys are tied up in police tape. Yeah, like what? It's a great visual. <laughs> it's probably what they it, had. It's a great visual. Yeah. Um, and when they look back at, and when the testosterone squad looks back at the doors, all the co- there's a shit ton of cops out there in riot gear. It is really, I mean, I know it's not exactly the same circumstances involved in, in all the aspects of this, but it's really fascinating how many different aspects of 2020 that they managed to capture in one episode. Like mm-hmm. cops in the riot gear and, you know, lockdown stuff and angry white dudes and like just there's so many things that they managed to capture in a just a 45 minute little package here. And the only it's just re- it's, it's kind of chilling in a way. The only thing we didn't get was somebody taking up baking. <laughs> uh, yeah, and um, and this uh, this scene here was uh, notably uh, included in the ER reunion that they did also during the pandemic. Uh, the hosts of that particular uh, event uh, they actually played this clip during the um, during the reunion because it had such tremendous relevance to what was happening in the world at the time. Uh, and uh, Noah Wiley, to <laughs> to the surprise of no one, Noah Wiley immediately, as soon as the clip was over, was like, I have zero memory of that. Like, he was <laughs> he was like, I don't remember doing that speech. Sorry. <laughs> oh, bless. I mean, I get it. We record these, and I'm like, I don't remember fucking saying that when one of our wonderful listeners right. is like, hey, guys, this I was mean, really funny. The, and I'm like, I don't know what I said an hour the, ago. The guy was the guy was number one on the call sheet and number one on the IMDb list. So, like, he, he was in quite literally the most episodes of anybody. And uh, I, I don't yeah. blame him for not remembering every single moment. I just, again, it just comes down to the conversation we had about the fucking names on the wall. Like, it was a Thursday right. at work. When you're doing a new one every single week, they all kind of eventually just blend together. Yep. Uh, but then we learn from the CDC they don't have a definitive answer yet. Um, it is a pox of some form, but they don't know specifically if it is truly smallpox. It could be medium pox. <laughs> I know um, what PCR means now. Polymerase chain yeah, reaction. Right? Um, I wish I didn't. Yeah, it is what it is. But then Abby, oh, guys, why did you make me take because, this one? Because Abby nobody, goes, <laughs> much like smallpox, nobody wanted it. All right, I'll do it. Fine. Uh, but then Abby goes back to update Carter on Adam's condition as they sit in trauma one. Uh, they're told, like, thank you for your help, but you need to stay in quarantine room now as we as the situation develops. As the guy tells bo- them that to their face with no mask on. Like, yep, 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 he's yep. like, you guys, you guys uh, are turbo fucked. You're going to need to stay in this room. Okay, I'm going to go now. Uh, yep. Uh, they're both really sweaty and gross. Abby checks him for a fever. He's good. But uh, she puts an ice pack on his neck and holds it for him, to which I say he's an adult. He can hold his he can hold his own goddamn ice pack. And she looks she looks at him very sincerely and goes, tell me we're going to be OK. And then they kiss. And he says, we're going to be OK. Blech. We're going to be OK. And then they kiss again, and I fucking hate it. Here come the pretzels. 
Oh. I don't hate it. Still. I know you don't, and that's fine. I just maybe it's just because of where we're at right now with this season and how done I am in general. I just was not here for it. I was like, yeah, okay, fine, that's, great. That 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 you know what that is? That's the Klonopin talking. Like that's the <laughs> hey, <laughs> hush. That's there's no other explanation for that because it's just... there's a lot of other things going on in my brain right now, but I am still mostly okay with. I didn't say I loved it. I'm just saying I'm okay with it. Yeah, we like I I don't have an actual like problem with this. It was just one of those things where I was like, okay. Yeah, it's 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 a harbinger of things to come. Like which right. that's that's the thing. I'm and you know, people get people say we're too hard on this whole thing and and whatever, you know, I'm sorry, but like just spoilers for the next like 22 weeks. Like it's it's not going to get better. Like it's not this is not going to be a Malucci situation. We're not going to look back on this at the end of season 9 and be like, "Wow, we were wrong. This was really great." No, it sucked then and it's going to suck now. It's it's the same thing I have with Precocious Kids. It's just such a there moment. Like it's just such a try hard moment that I'm like it's acted wonderfully, right. but it's just like Which which you know it's too much like brings us you know of course we're at the end of the episode here and this this is well and truly you know as, as much as we said at the end of season seven that that was like a, the first time it was a cliffhanger that wasn't really a cliffhanger because they didn't follow up on it to any great degree this is a, the first time that they are doing a well and true cliffhanger like they're gonna the whole first episode of season nine is going to be the direct follow-up to this um and so it's that that kind of makes it difficult, I think, to give like an individualized assessment of this episode because it is so kind of indelibly linked to the one that comes after it. Um, and so there, there's things that I like about it and things that I don't like about it. And, you know, like the, the, the stuff that I the thing the thing that I would say I like the most about it is that they managed to resist the temptation to. uh to I don't I, dance is not the right word and piss is not the right word but they they managed to avoid doing anything on Mark's grave in this episode yes. uh, which I I feel like there would would have been tremendous temptation for them to be like what would Mark do in this situation like have Mar- have Carter have that moment out loud where he where he right. goes like or, you know like what would Mark do or have Susan while she's like flipping through the emergency manual is like, why isn't Mark here? Right, like they they managed to resist the temptation to have any reference to that whatsoever. We are completely turning the page on that whole situation. We're not going to talk about it anymore. Let's just let's let's start fresh. Let's move on. So I'm glad they they went in that direction. I will say though, and again, this is tough to to like really like nail down because you're you're missing the second half of the equation here i do feel like this episode really lacks some of the like hero moment kind of panache of say like exodus like exodus really like hits all the right notes for me in terms of like even carter getting like big moments and stuff and i know we're still going to get some stuff next uh you know at the beginning of season nine season one uh season nine episode one um but there's just something just not quite it doesn't get there for me. And then maybe that's because it's no. only part one of the story. Like it just doesn't quite get to that level for me. Um, and then the, there's the undeniable fact that, like I said, this episode hits very different for me after 2020. And it's hard for me to turn my brain off and, and enjoy I, it in the same dumb way that I did the first go around. I agree with that. And I also definitely think part of it is, you know, not only we are, are we emotionally fatigued from having lived COVID, we're also, you know, emotionally fatigued from having just spent the past, like, half of a season going through what we've yeah. gone through. Like, we don't quite have the room for a Gravitas episode Absolutely. where we're really going to be like, 
fuck. Right, absolutely. Like I I'm so fucking tired at the end of this season. Like I <laughs> I feel like we have been like beaten up with a bat through this season. I, I'm going to say this. This is the first season where I feel like we've actually earned a break. Yeah. Between seasons, like this would be the only time where I'd be like, guys, we're halfway season, there. Season 8 this- has been an absolute gauntlet. I'm so happy to be able to say that we can put it to bed after the wrap up you know, next week or the, this weekend for us, but next week for you all. Like, I'm so glad that we can finally put this season behind us because it has been such a, like, gauntlet to get through emotionally, logistically. logistically. Like, every aspect of it has been just a nightmare. And so, like, it's tough. And, and I totally understand the the perspective creatively to not want to have the season end with Mark's death. They, they, they yes. needed to have something to bring people back for season nine. They could not have the lasting image of season eight be dead ass Mark Green. Like they needed to have something to bring people back for season nine. So I totally understand why they would do this, you know, as the season finale instead of on the beach. But it is really hard emotionally, physically, logistically. It is really hard to muster up any sort of enthusiasm for this episode when you've just been put through the Mark Green death trilogy gauntlet. It is so hard. You're just completely drained of all emotion. And so like, it's really hard to give a shit about these fucking kids with smallpox. I'm sorry. It just is. No, you took it right out of my mouth. Like, I feel bad. We love you guys. We love the show. We still love doing this, but we're fucking done right now. I'm just really tired. And I'm just, I'm I'm just really happy that, you know, like Lauren has said for a year, I just am ready to move on to something (laughs) different. I'm, I'm ready to have ER 2.0. Yeah. Whereas with me, (laughs) I am thorough. I thoroughly enjoy this episode because when I say I thoroughly enjoy this episode, because I kind of, in my brain, put it... I have to put it together with, with Chaos Theory. Right. With the season 9 premiere. I have to. It's like putting Avengers Infinity War with Avengers, Avengers Endgame. Daniel doesn't care about this. But... Nope. <laughs> but, like... It's very hard to separate the two when they're two definitive halves of a story. So, like, my emotions for, like, even though I think Chaos Theory is the better episode overall, I think sort of this episode, like, gets better because Chaos Theory is a very good episode, Mm. if that makes sense. Sure, it improves. Is this the only, and I'm sure, you know, paging Aaron, uh, is this the the only time that they do a two-part episode that straddles seasons? No. No. Okay. I, I'm I'm blank no. I'm blanking well, least... on whatever that other one. Oh well, I know I know exactly the, the one I'm thinking of. Actually, yes, twelve, thirteen. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. But like, this is the first. This is the first done. one they've done. Yeah. So all the other two part episodes that we've dealt with thus far have all been contained within the same season, and there was just this ability to like kind of flow right into the next whereas like this it's so hard for me to imagine having to sit there. This is May having to sit there and wait four months to like do the next one and like think you know i don't know it's just one of those like things about network tv that just seems weird now you know yeah but yeah so for me like in my brain they're both like nine out of ten episodes when realistically this one's probably like a seven and a half or an eight and the other one's probably like a nine nine and a half for me like i love chaos theory i love that episode i'm excited to revisit it 
So, but I but I watch them as one. <laughs> like yeah. I'm like I want to sit down and I want to watch that story. Sure. So, that's just me though. Anyway, what do listeners have to say about it, Lauren? Uh, there is one specifically that I absolutely have to read, but Daniel, other than that, we may just tag team on this. Okay. We'll see. Um, Brittany L. says, This is the episode that I can vividly remember watching live in one of my favorites, Season 9, Episode 1-2. Given the time it aired and what was happening globally, this was edge-of-your-seat TV. In hindsight, I have some mixed feelings about why the writers probably chose to do an episode that alluded to smallpox being used as a bioweapon and whether or not it was necessary, but I do enjoy it from the medical side of things. I know I watched this a couple of times in 2020. I was a student medical assistant mid-pandemic, and I think I was looking for some sense of reassurance. House felt too intense and off the wall. Grey's Anatomy didn't really have any communicable disease or possible epidemic-focused episodes at the time, so this fit the bill. With that said, this episode feels like the torch being passed to Carter, and I enjoy Noah Wiley getting to demonstrate his more serious acting skills. Carter and Abby have a little chemistry, I'll admit it. I know Pratt was still being a cowboy, but I don't think he was completely wrong, and Carter came across a little elitist during their interactions. Yeah. Uh, Rodney C. says, I always remember this episode and the first season nine episode vividly. It's among the first episodes I ever saw of the show, thanks to syndication. It wasn't until season 10 that I started watching ER live. It can be debated how much of a relationship Carter and Mark had, but episodes like this remind me why Mark was a very important mentor to Carter. This This was a what would Mark do situation. Benton is great under pressure medically. Susan never really takes a full lead. Carrie is somehow always missing or out of action when these types of events start. Carter has stepped up like this before, but it's different now with the loss of Mark Felt. I will never fully get the outright hatred Carter and Abby gets, but the writers really thought too much of that pairing by having the beginning of them be the end of the season. I kind of wish if Abby was going to relapse, it would have been while they were dating. Only because it makes no sense for Carter to date Abby with that huge obstacle staring them in the face. Uh, Daniel, do you want to take the next two? Heather R. says, I sometimes have to remind myself that this episode comes at the end of season eight because I always think that Mark's death was or should have been, in my opinion, the end of the season. I suppose they wanted to set the tone going forward with the new leader in the clubhouse, Carter, and show the ER moving on. But I think we already knew that message. Anyway, I think it's stating the obvious that this episode hits different after what we've all been through a global pandemic. And let me tell you, when I watched this in the past, I thought it was so over the top how the frustrated patients acted in this episode. But then I saw how polarized this country was during the pandemic. And, well, realistic portrayal, I guess. Sigh. And uh, Deros N says, this episode solidifies Dr. Carter as the true successor to Dr. Green. As you guys said in your comment to the letter in that episode, they set and repeat the whole Carter, you are the chosen one mantra. And it would have been meaningless if Carter had not stepped up and taken the lead here. I love this episode because it is a nice hook for season nine with all the Abby Carter thing and the dawn of the age of Carter. Oh, I'm sorry. I just had to take Grace's. Uh, Grace B says, what kind of an idiot do you have to be Sorry. What kind of an idiot do you have to be to be called Yoda by your resident and respond to this using decent Yoda grammar, but then give your resident the Vulcan salute? Star Trek and Star Wars are not interchangeable fucking franchises. 
My exact words upon watching this episode for the first time three years ago was, you just Star Trek Star Wars, Carter. What is wrong with you? Also, when the monkeypox outbreak started last year, two years ago, what is time? This was, of course, the first thing I thought of. This entire episode is a wild to watch after experience the pandemic for myself. Carter's implementation or the, of the masking protocol alone makes no sense to me as a layperson. But even with the dumb fish ship, pandemic flashbacks, and the criminal insult to nerds everywhere that occurs in this episode, I can forgive it because for better or worse, this is the perfect demonstration of why John Truman Carter III remains my very messy bitch problematic fave. Thanks, Doc Jen, for the nickname idea. And this is especially for me. P.S. This episode is all the evidence I need that the allosexuals are not okay. For anybody else, that is people who are not asexual. So everybody else who has sexy feelings. And last but certainly not least, at the full-time dad, says, while some, ob- while some obviously will hate the episode because it marks the beginning of the Carter Abbey ship, I love this episode because of how dead-on ER is as a predictor of human behavior. Paranoid HIV healthcare professionals? Check. Unhinged anti-vax moms? Check. White people? No offense. And the probably Bush voters losing their collective shit uh, over sound public health policy? Bingo. I mean, literally down to the anti-lockdown lawyers, we as a species have been our own worst enemies. That being said, I love this episode. We get to see Carter in his new dynamic as ER tone setter, some hair on hair on fire Martin Davich scoring that adds to the adrenaline-fueled pacing, and a very authentic public health crisis episode that they should have rebroadcast in advance of the first shelter-in-place in 2020. And, uh, Aaron, I just want to apologize. I'm too white to read that, but yes, white people. Just, just white people. Just, I just, yeah, I own it. Fuck it. <laughs> Lizzie, you want to take us out? I was going to say, do we have anything else? Stab this... Let's be done. Stab this fucking season in the heart. Let's be done with it. (laughs) Do you want me to do an outro or? Let's just fucking go. (laughs) Okay. Okay, bye. All right, well, that's fucking to wrap up our season for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at Patreon.com, where for only $5 a month, you can get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, two-week early access to any future cast and crew interviews we may do, and over 65 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, season eight coming next week. A free from a free form monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where I can talk good, uh, and movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Tone Podcast, and we are at Silent Tone Podcast on Instagram. Also be sure to check out the official Silent Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel Working Folks Find You. I don't give a fuck where they can find <laughs> you. Let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah, and I'm out. Work- okay, fine. I'm out. Fine. Okay, okay, bye. <laughs> bye, bye, y'all. If that's not season eight energy, I don't know what is. Bye, everyone.
shit show.